All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor. I'm here with uh, former guest, Calvin. Thanks for having me back. And uh, McKinnon is a guest again. What's up? I'm glad to have you on for this one. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. This is one I've been excited to talk about for a while. We're talking about Darren Aronofsky's mother. Um, Calvin and I, this is a a lot of controversy between this because Calvin really likes this one. And I, this might be one of the single worst movies I've ever seen. It's, it's pretentious on a level that I can't like imagine. It's, it's nearly unwatchable to me. And so having to, I think I went through it like twice in, in preparation for this and I was so over it, like just, just a few minutes in. So I am excited to talk about it and try and figure out how people like this one and then to defend my stance on why I think it's not very good. Excellent. I am I'm here for I also agree it's incredibly pretentious, but that's its beauty. You would think that. Since <laughs> <laughs> you would say that. Um so let's get a first impressions. Um, McKenna, what did you think of this one? I didn't think it was pretentious necessarily. I thought it was incredibly stressful. I was mm. so I had so much anxiety watching this movie. So this is really good. Um McKenna was you know, I, I texted him and asked if he wanted to do this one with us and he texted me last night and he was like he sent me a screenshot. He's like, is this the movie we're watching? It's a Korean movie called Mother. <laughs> I, like, yeah, yeah. I think it would have been great if I didn't correct you, if I didn't see the text. And you came in and you were like, wait, we're not talking about the Korean mother? <laughs> it was a mistake that we almost made another time with the recording and we dodged it that time. And I'm glad we dodged it this time too. Yeah. So what you, was the last one? What was the It was American Animals. What did you watch? What were you going to watch instead? There's an older movie called American Animals that showed up when I searched for it. Ah, American Weird. Animals is one that's been lost to time. We have a recording of that, but it's yeah. pretty old now. It's also not good. Yeah, we might redo that one. Yeah. I would not mind watching that movie again. It's a I, w- movie. I would not. I would mind not watching that again. Is that a double negative? Yeah. Okay. I hope so. I'm going to have to re- re- rewind and listen. Like, wow, I've <laughs> As if I wasn't setting myself up as a, as a pretentious <laughs> film loser from the get-go. Right. I'm using double negatives incorrectly. Right. E- either way, I'm glad I got the right movie and yes, watch this one. Me too. <laughs> uh, stressful is a good way to put this. I, I, I tend to agree with that. Absolutely. Um, do you have any other first thoughts on it? or Not really. I I, I dislike Jennifer Lawrence. That's That was my other first thought. I, I don't really care for her as an actress, but I don't think that's a slight on the movie necessarily. It's true. It's not. Um, so yeah, this type of movie is is my guilty pleasure, like my Marvel movie. Like it's <laughs> full of symbols and motifs and religious allegories, and they don't always quite make sense. But that is the point. So it's just a messy romp of biblically based psychodrama. So I just love every bit of it. I think that this film is so heavy handed in its retelling of like like you said, like these biblical stories, these allegories for God, Earth, humanity. Um, it's dialogue and kind of, I think it's, uh, the style, the way it's filmed would trick you into thinking that this is a really smart and clever movie, but it's really not. Um, it is so basic in everything it's trying to do. And I think they just thought like a clever setting and like, a, a, a perceived sense of vagueness to the story, make it a masterpiece. And this movie is garbage. Like I said, it's, I think it's, <laughs> it, it's, uh, pretentious in a way that alienates people from watching it. I think that. Which is good. It's that point. Is it? Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? Why should it? Why? Uh, that's why well, we're doing this whole yeah, episode. We'll, we'll get into it. Oh, um, okay, okay. But I think unless you go into this with like a, a kind of an innate knowledge of like of, of biblical stories, and if you don't have that in your background, this movie is is really hard to keep track of, and it's it it just seems like a it's it seems like a real mess on screen if you don't understand the allegories, and that's why I say it like I think it alienates its audience. So, and I address that point specifically, so we will get to that. Yeah, no, I'd like to, yeah, like I'd like to figure out 
more about that because yeah, I, like I said, I have, I have, I have thoughts on this. Um, I have a note here that just says shit I hate. So we can, <laughs> we can get into that. Uh, that's funny. I have, I think I have problems somewhere and, uh, then I erased it. So we can talk about, uh, like the look of the film, like McKinnon said, it's stressful. And I think one thing that Darren Aronofsky does really well is he, he moves the camera around well and, uh, it's handheld. So there's like kind of that bit of unease to it. It's not like you, you know, have like your camera on like a tripod. It's not moving smoothly on a dolly. And I like the kind of movement in this film and it, it, McKinnon's right. It, it, it gives a sense of stress to it. So it, I, in yeah. terms of the look, I, I like the way this movie looks. The way it was filmed, it felt very claustrophobic to me. That that's, that's the sense I got from it. Yeah. And there's a few ways that, 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 uh, they created that atmosphere. So he likes to shoot with super 16 rather than 35 millimeter film. So super 16, uh, is a smaller gauge film that you can, a lot of films do it for budget, uh, reasons you can then upscale it. And so that's where that grainy texture comes from is because they're shooting on a, on a smaller gauge film. So we're shooting on Super 16. That means that we can also have smaller cameras. So that's where the handheld comes from. Um, so we move everything around uh, really in in service of that that uh, that tension, that like, fr- frenetic pace. Like, and so um, you really have three shot types, and they all are from the mother's perspective um, and emphasizing her experience. So you have her literal viewpoint. You have her over-the-shoulder view at something, or you have a close-up. And the way he frames all of these close-ups, like, you never get ahead of her when she's moving. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's either from her back and she can see, but when it's on her, we just don't know what she's about to run into. And that is, like, ah, it's so jarring the way the, the, nobody really does that. Yeah. Um, like and the, the amount of time she walks into a room and sees something that is just like a horror to her is it, it happens all the time and it builds like this anxiety into the film. And it's purely just from like what we're seeing, like what, what the camera's doing, you know? Yeah. Just that tip. The, like, and again, like uh, we, if, if you've listened to our Shawshank uh, episode, this is specifically the type of thing that I'm talking about that Shawshank does none of. Mm-hmm. Just this one thing creates a completely different film um, just by running into things. So I and it, that's why I love Aronofsky is he does he understands uh, his the language of film and uses it in different ways in different films. Yeah, I I think the way it's paced out works really well. It's like yeah how the how we're moving through each scene and how it's all edited together. We watched we did a review on the fountain and it's like it's kind of the same sort of feel. Like Aronofsky, I mean at least um like stylistically he has his like own kind of feel to his movies. So I mean I I watch this and I recognize like oh okay like it's not like in any way like shot for shot similar to the fountain but there's like uh, there's like a directorial quality to it uh, I like i do like that about his films yeah especially like and this is it's it's part of my my problem as uh my development as a f- filmmaker is he cuts just a lot a lot of things it's very hard to do on a budget it's very hard to do on a limited amount of time you really have to have your shot selection um before you even get to your subject matter. Like, whereas if you take these long, longer shots, you can, it's a little bit easier and more economical to make a, a story if you're just working out like your set pieces. Cause when, if you miss like a couple of your little shots that you edit together, suddenly your montage doesn't mean the same thing, which is why his, his way of making films is, is very difficult. And while it doesn't work for a lot of people is because sometimes there's too much and sometimes there's too little. Right. Uh, do we want to move into the score? Yes. You're all excited about it. I, I there isn't much of a score to this. I don't there know if I know anything about the score. No. I don't think it was notable, was it's it? It's not there. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. It doesn't exist. The whole film was scored, though, by Johan Johansson. Almost all of the running time 
had music to it. He scrapped it. Right. Okay. I think I did read something about that. It's, yeah. It, it, there was watched, a version of it. Yeah. Yeah. So he watched the film and for months agonized over it, like Johan Johansson did, that the film doesn't work with the music. And so he agonized over it and then he begged Ardenovsky for months to take it all out because oh, okay. it did not work. And that is, I love Mother for that reason because he's absolutely right. This movie without music, um, this mu- this movie with music is melodramatic. Like it's overdramatic in some places. Putting music in would absolutely make, would ruin this film. Like everything... Um, is is working here like it, it would either be completely extraneous or outright distracting yeah i think you could definitely look at this as like uh like interstellar is a score i really like but you latch onto that in the scenes and it, it enhances the scene is and it needs to be there and it's like a it, it helps tie it all in uh but this movie not having a score eliminates like that sense of comfort you would have like mm-hmm. kind of hearing your your typical like melodic uh you know uh sounds built into the scene would take away from kind of the anxiety and like the uh, the uneasy feel of it if you had something like comfortable. So the fact that it's not even there, like that works. Yeah. I, I can I can tend to agree with that. It would and, completely shift the climax of the movie if there was a score. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah. And because we start with all of this silence and then we build to this din of crowd noise of explosions, that sharp contrast is really uh, accentuated and really lands well for me. It's very loud at the end. I yeah. will agree with that. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I love the mix on that part. Uh, I understand the point of it, but it's... it's. I think it's mo- meant to be painful. I don't think it's meant that you're supposed to hear or understand anything. It's you you to, can have something that has a point and is also enjoyable to watch and listen well, to. Well, I think it's supposed like, to sound like mayhem. Yeah, I think, it's, like that. I think it's not supposed to be enjoyable. Okay. That's the, that is the point. Well, okay, then Darren Aronofsky has interviews where he's like, he seems to not understand why people didn't like this movie. And he's like, this is supposed to be like a, like a punk rock. It's supposed to come at you. It's supposed to make you like feel something. It's like, I get it. Like, I totally get it. But then don't be confused on how you made a movie that wasn't like uh, very well reviewed or like, it, I guess critically it did pretty well. Yeah, it did fairly well. So I, I actually haven't seen too many where he was, he was questioning. Um, I, I, he, he knows for sure why this movie doesn't work for some people Yeah, because it has a lot of dream logic to it. Um, I had seen interviews says, yeah, where, yeah. where he was just, he seemed like, I just don't understand why people are understanding this movie. And it's like, I think people understand it. They just don't like it. Well, I think <laughs> like so many people are trying to piece it apart. It's like one-to-one comparisons of everything. When he literally has come out and said, like, if you try and actually un- try and understand and um, pull this movie apart to analyze it, it doesn't work. Like that's kind of the, the purpose is that a lot of this is just an experience and not, uh, not a story. Okay, I, I can get that. Uh, we didn't go into it, but uh, this movie had a budget of $30 million, which kind of seems to make sense. I mean, it's not like it's going to a bunch of different places. It's not doing a lot. They had to build the whole house. I assumed, yeah. I, I assumed oh, that was all built to, that way they could also know how to take it apart the way they wanted it. And there's like stuff that gets damaged. So I'm assuming that there yeah. was, that all played a role in it. But Sound stages. Right. A lot of stuff like that. So well, they had to build it a certain way for like the explosion in the end, right? So, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Dude, that Molotov cocktail, that was real. I watched them like shooting that That looked scene. real, yeah. Yeah, and that dude is actually on fire. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Uh, but this <laughs> this made $44 million. And like I said, it's like, uh, I, I think critically it did well. Like people who are like film snobs probably watched this and were gushing you don't, about you don't, it. Yeah, I see you looking at me like that. <laughs> uh, and then like regular people saw this and were like, why? I think, and that's sort of what I get is like, 
it's not so much why is in, in terms of I don't understand it because I feel like there are probably tons of people who are like, oh, you just don't understand art or I guess you just don't get it. It's like, I do get this movie and I can still find it to not be very watchable. And, uh, but, but I think as far as like budget and what it made, I wouldn't like really call this super successful, especially considering we're going to talk about Black Swan. And that movie is like, I think it's like a $13 million budget or something like that. Was it only it's, 13? It's, it's really low and it made a ton of money. Yeah, like three, 329. Right? Yeah. It's, Something crazy. It's oh, wow. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. That movie did really well. And Noah another, also got a lot of money, if I yeah, remember right. Yeah. That had, I think of all of his movies, that's his biggest budget. But uh, but it also made a lot of money too. Yeah. Right? It did I, well. I don't know the stats. You're, that's your yeah. job. Was I'm Noah, just here to. Was Noah Aronofsky also? Yep. Okay. When we when we review those movies, inevitably we'll uh, inevitably I'll go, in, I'll go into it. But uh, yeah, I, as far as like a successful, I, I guess if you just want to be Darren Aronofsky and make a movie that, and then criticize people for not liking it, then this is he hit the nail on the head with this one, I think. <laughs> so I want to move on now into the characters. Uh, we should start with Mother. It's like the stories from her perspective. So I think it's a good way to launch this one. Calvin, what do you think of Mother? Oh, what do I think? Man, I have so many thoughts on this. So, so she's literally like the divine mother archetype that Carl Jung refers to. Like this, uh, this overall every every concept of mother comes from um, this idea of uh, of life, of giving, care, support, love. Like we associate all of those things with both the divine and the mortal woman. So she's a lot of things all at the same time. And this film, like I know you say it feels heavy handed. I feel, I feel like it feels heavy handed to some people. And what, what happens is because like this experience of the viewer being aware of the heavy handedness and gravitating to what they find to be the most obvious inter- interpretation for a lot of people. Like that's like what, what you've told me, like the mother as the earth and it's all an all allegory for climate change, but that's not all she is because she's all forms of the archetype at once. And that's also why it's messy. So it's, it's both of these things happening at the same time. Like you don't need to necessarily latch on either one of them. Neither one of them is, is really the point. And this is the idea of folk tales of, of stories uh, coming from a single person in the first place. It's all of that psychodrama happening within the creator. So you have uh, the wife and she's uh, uh, neglected and abused and supportive and loving. And then you have like the literal earth because that's like, you know, we, that's the whole circle of the green around the house. Um, then you also have her as Mother Mary for a while. But I also think that she functions as Darren Aronofsky, uh, Darren Aronofsky's own experience with religion. Like that, that end scene, like I gave you everything, but you only loved how much I loved you. So it's all of these things all at the same time. Neither one of them exist more than the other. They exist in moments throughout the whole film. They're not necessarily cohesive or building together. It's how you find yourself in each element at each time of the film. I, I get what you're saying, how it's it's multiple aspects of like what a, the mother character is. Like there, There's more to it than just the mother earth. Uh, but my problem is like that, that part of the movie is the majority of it, I think. And I think it's just so heavy handed with it. It's like, how she's just she's constantly mistreated by every character that shows up in the movie um and it it gets really tired really fast for me it's like you know she's doesn't have uh like a lack of attention from her husband and then um when like Michelle Pfeiffer's character shows up like she's extremely rude uh yeah. to the mother and like every character uh even just kind of the little side characters that are just kind of like messing up the house and she's constantly having to tell people like oh don't do that please don't do that and it's just it's too much like if you want to have allegories 
like that's fine if you if you want to put that in your movie and and have people take that away from it it's fine it just it can't be the it can't be the entire thing to me and to me that's how i feel it's like it's 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 just so hitting me over the head with it like i think if you want to watch a movie that has like really good biblical allegories in it watch the line the witch in the wardrobe that's a much better well done movie than this and it, it it gets across the themes like the biblical themes i think that you want in a kid's movie <laughs> like I, <laughs> I find that to be so much more entertaining and, and, and not as heavy-handed as this and this is supposed to be like kind of like a big like thinker i think it's supposed to be something you ponder over and i can't even ponder over it because it's just like it's so over the top with how they treat her and it's like it's every scene and i just one breath maybe to like do something else with the character would have been nice yeah, I can see that, like really emphasizing some of the, like that point of uh, like the, because I think the thing that resonates the most with me is that being in the mother's shoes and her relationship with the concept of God and as a Christian, you know, right. like when you re- when you really start to peel back the layers of like the rules that God has created for this world, like he's not a good person by even the rules that he gave us. Mm. And that I think is a really interesting concept for this character. And that's, those are the things I gravitate more towards is there's, there are these levels of abuse that it's not just the characters. It's also the, the, the concept, the construct of everything all at the same time. Like you literally have the power to do, to change anything you wanted to, but you don't. Those are the things, what's not said are the things that I find more interesting in this film. Right. McKinnon, what are your thoughts on Mother? I definitely lean more towards you, Connor, on this. It was just so heavy-handed and overdone after the hundredth time that she was abused or neglected. Right. It's just I, I get that they were. I get that there are certain allegories that are supposed to be present in her character, but it was it was just it was too much. Yeah, I I do like what you said, Calvin. Where it's like there are multiple aspects to this. It just it took too long for her to become like the Mother Mary character. Which I, I actually I actually like that part of the movie where she's so protective over the baby, even like against God. I, I actually find that to be like one of the probably like the brightest part of the movie. I like that part. I find it the most disturbing scene. Oh yeah. I wrote that one specifically down because it's just like he is just gonna sit there and wait. I think it's yeah. I thought that was a it was a neat scene. I was surprised that it took so long for her to finally have the child. Like for a movie titled Mother, she didn't actually have the kid until like an hour into the movie. Yeah, because she has all of the qualities yeah, of mother. Yeah, because she's also mother. Earth sure. Right so that's that's why. Like that's that's just another uh, iteration of the mother yeah. archetype. If you're if literally you're, having a child. If you're smart enough to make those connections, then yeah, you can be you can be happy for the first hour of the movie. I wasn't smart enough to make those connections, <laughs> so I was unhappy for the first hour of the movie. I have, also, a, I have a whole section that I want to get to on just like all the biblical references. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see. We'll At, see what we all caught. After she gets pregnant, it felt like a different movie to me. So and that's the point. I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah. it's like the second act or whatever. I yeah. think uh, I wouldn't want to go through talking about this character without talking about Jennifer Lawrence. I do not find her to be one of the best actresses I've ever seen. I love her. I do you love her or do you love her movies? I love, uh, I like American Hustle. Okay. I like Winter's Bone. Um, a lot of her bigger ones, I'm not like, like there are even moments in like the first Hunger Games where like, oh, what? like when she volunteers, like that in and of itself is like, I think is good acting. Um, just that one moment. The rest of the movie, I just don't really like, like I actually think that the first Hunger Games could be a true masterpiece of cinema if it treat if it treated, uh, what we wanted better like the whole hunger games like her out in the wilderness without seeing anything else going on without any of the political tension wow what a film 
What a story to tell. Um, I didn't get it. But it's got all that. kinds of goofy haircuts in it that distract you. <laughs> There's that, that stuff's too. in the book. Yeah. So they have to be true to the book or else. Yeah. No, I, I agree that that movie could have been a lot better. But on the topic of Jennifer Lawrence, I, I don't much I don't much care for the for amount her of times things either. The amount of time she looks over at Javier Bardem after he, like um he'll be like, Oh yeah, no, we we want kids. And she always looks over with this like confused, betrayed face. And it happens so many times. I'm I honestly think that uh, Darren Aronofsky's like, okay, like let's start the scene. And she just keeps making that look over and over again. And I can just imagine the panic in him. He's like, I have to rewrite the whole movie because this, this woman has no range. She can only make one face because it happens so many times. And then she kind of has just like this kind of like blank, but st- distressed face for the majority of the movie. She has the same tone of voice, the entire movie, zero range to Jennifer Lawrence in this, in as this character. I, I don't think. know about zero range because she goes from like, being loving, caring, like soft, and then screaming, demonic in another part. Um, and I, fi- I find most of those believable because it's just like pure anguish. Like that's the dream logic. But we've talked about this before, how telling a film solely from a single person's perspective does lead to that problem. So there, there are a lot of interesting ways that you can set up dialogue between two characters. I watched one film where there was uh, a child talking to a parent, and it was a short, and it was, it was, it was, it was a film uh, in so far that it was recorded for a purpose. But it was really it's <laughs> <laughs> a great way to describe film. <laughs> but it really was just a real conversation, like documentary uh, mm. version. Like it was, it was completely innocuous, but it was just like we have a camera going, and it's just the kid, and you're just watching him talk talking to her and it was amazing listening to how much more you understood what he was saying how much more you resonated with who he was what his problem was rather than cutting back and forth between the two so that is the thing here is everything is from we need to see all of her uh um her reactions we need to see all of her emotions and because you have contrived it in such a way that we keep having the same type of of betrayal happening you keep getting the same thing over again and i think yeah i agree that is that does happen too much i don't think that's the heavy handedness um that's really the the problem that you have with this film but i think that it really it really drives home um the central point of the character and their motivation and it it, you you connect less and less the more more it comes up unless you've already just like completely given yourself over because like like that that relationship is also kind of abusive and like from past relationships uh well not kind of abusive it is it is (laughs) yeah and like so like from my own past relationships like that that part resonates with me too just some of the phrases that they come Mm -hmm. so i can i can forgive the fact that this like because that that shit just like when you're in it like it just keeps happening and it just like there's no it's just just no sense it seems and there's no pattern to it uh it's just over and over so that's why i give a little bit more leeway to it as well I don't. <laughs> it's 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 part of what I, I think makes this movie kind of unwatchable. Is it, it's brutal to get through, and and again, it it might be just the way the scenes are, are put together that makes it to where there is no way for her to react other than that same face, mm. and maybe that's not Jennifer Lawrence's fault. But I think I, that's a little bit more of like so. Aronofsky wrote the whole script in five yeah. days, which is incredibly fast. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, I'm should, sure there was. He should have like, taken a second pass. <laughs> yeah, and I'm oh. sure there were. I'm sure there were certainly uh, more iterations and everything. But I do feel like that, that that's the case. Like that's one of those things that you're not going to see in the script. You um you're not going to notice until you're fi- you're putting the final cut of the film together, and you kind of need all of those plot points because they're um 
for the the biblical references, but you didn't realize that they were going to land like that when you edited them together. Right. So that's a little bit of a, a misstep there, but it's hard to know that. I want to move on to him, which is the character played by Javier Bardem. He's supposed to represent God. I think he's easily the most interesting character in this. I love the way that mm. he's portrayed as, I, I think the idea of like the Christian God is like this all-knowing, all-loving, you know, God who is like, he's, he's, he's got the whole world in his hand, you know, he's there to take care of us. And this version of God is like so selfish and I, I love, and it's like he, he's desperate for humanity's attention a lot of the time. And I, I, that's like the saving grace of this movie to me is I think Javier Bardem is awesome in it. And I like the way that that character plays out in this film so much. Um, and Ken, what are your thoughts on? I, I like him a lot more than Mother. And I think he's a far more interesting character than Mother. Yeah. I, yeah. I completely agree. Right. Uh, Calvin, what are your thoughts? So I, I think the reason that you think that, like, I think they're the same character. They're, they're, they're really uh, two sides of the same coin, uh, mother and father, because that's really like how they operated as archetypes. But this is why um, I think that you like uh, Javier Bardem and father or, and, and him more than you like mother is because of where the perspective is. This is the one time he, Darren Aronofsky chose not to be on the nose by calling him him and not father. It should have just been father. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, like the I one mean, time like, he chose not to be blatant, but yeah, that was a, that was a joke in film school. Like, uh, <laughs> like when uh, Noah came out, like, oh, he just went full Bible. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, so he is um, like very obviously like God, and I think he's just like like um, he's not in it enough that he gets he gets overwrought like uh, like mother is. But, you know, he's husband. He's God the father. Um, there's also like um, a Jungian uh, symbol of, is rain uh, to re- represent father, rain, sky, uh, feathers. But rain, I say specifically, is because the scene where he's raping her on the stairs, right. the rain starts falling on the... Uh, um, the skylight. Yeah, on the skylight. Mm-hmm. And that's meant to s- symbolize like, fertilization right so a directorial staple of uh aronofsky with the skylight he does that in fountain a couple times yeah lots of those yeah. Ugh, so many. great beautiful um but yeah so and then he's also um what what makes him interesting too is he's also aronofsky's attempt to like grapple with his own artistic approach um and this is why i think these, this film has a lot more going on than we really we really think it's because aronofsky himself is in so many of these different things it's how he approaches his uh uh, his art and uh, like his own, his own being within the piece, and sometimes it is like this: like, am I am I taking myself? Am I being a little too self indulgent? Right. And I would say that you agree with that statement in this film, but uh, I think there's a lot of pain and anguish in that dichotomy between mother and him. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think this works because it's all happening within the the the, the creator's mind. Right, and that's why I think all of these elements uh, build to something more than just the archetypes and just the uh, and just the allegories. I do. I want to get into the biblical references more later, but I think one of them you kind of need to know in order to, like, I think, understand the relationship he has with Mother better is the idea of you know first God created the heavens and the earth, and then He moved on and made humanity. And so I like the idea of like He becomes so much more and more uh, involved and interested in like the humans that come into the, into the story and they're, they're interested in him as an author. And like, you know, like that's supposed to be like kind of him putting the Bible out and all this stuff. And Mm. uh, later on, like mother's like, why make them go away? And he's like, I don't want them to leave. And I like that idea a lot that like 
he made the earth and then moved on and forgot about it because now he's focused on humanity and like getting getting the word out to them and, and well and like, because he's a selfish god yes exactly um so i like that is one of the biblical references and allegories that i think actually work like and that's just because i like the idea of seeing god as selfish um and i think it's it, it comes across really well that's 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 one of the allegories i think works yeah and and i think that you need i don't know if you need all of the other ones i think they're fun uh, if we want, we can just move straight into all of the, the biblical things, like starting okay. from the beginning. Cause I, we can move on from the characters. I, I do have one more thing to say about it. And one of the struggles I have with this movie is, is my lack of connection to any character. Um, especially, I mean like mother and father are hard ones to connect with because like, I'm not mother earth. I'm because not they're mother archetypes. Mary. Yeah. They're, and, and one is God. So I'm not going to connect with them, but all the other characters who represent like, uh, other like human beings that are in the Bible and like those parables and those stories, I can't latch on to them at all because they act so unbelievable in this. Like everyone is like, like I had talked about it, Everyone is so, especially Michelle Pfeiffer. I, I, I think she's a good actress. I have no problem with her. Her character is so hard to watch in this. And I understand that's the point, but it's like, how am I ever supposed to connect with anyone in this movie? If everyone is so unlikable and like, because they're unlikable, I don't care about what they're doing. And because mother is a, is an archetype that I can't latch onto. I don't really care what she's doing. And so that, that's like kind of one of my big disconnects is, even though I think there's a heavy handedness to the storytelling, I think I cannot be involved or care for any of these characters because they, they just act so terrible the whole time. We talk a lot about like suspension of disbelief, right? Right. That it felt that feels very applicable to this because totally everyone agree. acts ridiculously, I think. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I felt so stressed out was like, obviously the camera work is filmed in a way to kind of make you feel claustrophobic, but also the way that everyone's acting just feels so s- separated from how a regular human would act. Yeah. And it was so stressful for me. Yeah. It's really a collection of all of the worst affects of humanity. That's why Certainly. none of these. Yeah. And so that's why none of these characters, to me, need to act like humans. Like, really, the, the, I think the strength, the, the film either works or doesn't if you can put yourself in mother's shoes. Right. If you can't, then this movie is going to be a lot harder for you to deal with unless you just love all of the, the, the references for the allegories. Right. Um, so I don't have a problem necessarily with all of these characters acting in like crazy ridiculous ways because they're really just the most distilled version of the most vile humans uh, in the Bible. Yeah, I think breaking it down, that's a perfect way to put why you like this movie and I find it really hard to get through and I find it so unlikable. Is like, I think I kind of need, I need something to latch on to. It doesn't even matter like the setting. Like I love sci-fi movies that take place in a completely unreal setting. But as long as there's a character or two to like ground it and make me care about the story, I'm all in. Like that's fine to me. There's just there's nothing grounding in this movie, and that's what I think makes it such a struggle for me to get through it. So I guess yeah, I want to move on from characters and and definitely jump into some of the Bible references, which yeah. is neat. It's a neat yeah. aspect of this movie. I just wish it kind of wasn't so obvious with all of them. So I think the first one I really like. So one other thing I would say too is just like from my my film history, like there are a lot of movies like this that are just kind of like dream logic and ridiculous. They're not meant to be stories. I think that's kind of what's weird about this movie is there is a, a straight up narrative at first, it seems, but it ends up being something completely different. And that's what's alienating. It's not necessarily the fact that it goes off the rails because that was always the intent. It's the fact that we started on the tracks and right. like it was going somewhere because otherwise it's, it's very like postmodern uh, to end the way that it did in, in a lot of films. So yeah, that's, a, that, that's another, why I have suspension of disbelief for it is because we've really combined two different types of expression uh, of, of stories of images. Right. Um, 
yeah, so wrapping up the characters, I want to move on to the biblical references. Uh, McKenna, you watched this for the first time just leading up to this last night, right? I watched it this morning right before coming over. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. So I That's kind of why wanna, you relate. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of want to go over some of them and then see like which ones you caught because like I said, I've seen this a couple times and so I just wonder, we, we all grew up going to church and so like I think a lot of these stories are, are, are like second nature to us but I wonder, like I said before, like how this movie maybe alienates some people. Like these stories are to us the same way like I think like fairy tales are to like everyone else. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, yeah, like Marvel Easter eggs, like in uh-huh. the Avengers. Right, right. <laughs> well, like, you know, <laughs> that's really what mother is, right. is it's really a combination of the BC. It so is. The biblical yeah. cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the way I see like, uh, you know, like Red Riding Hood or like Rapunzel, like uh, that's how the same way I see like Cain and Abel. Like that's a story that's like, I just know. It's just another archetype. Yeah. And so I wonder, but I wonder like people who aren't aware of all these biblical references, I wonder if this movie lands differently for them. And so along with that, I wonder how many of these references you caught. So there's like, uh, like the Adam and Eve uh, played by Ed Harris and uh, Mich- uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, we can even start with creation. Like he literally. Oh, right. Yeah. We yeah. might as well. Yeah. It's, it's literally like the entire old Testament, like word for word. Um, Cause we start with the, uh, um, just the crystal. And right. I really love the idea that God didn't actually create. He stole. Yeah. It is kind of neat. And uh, it's, it's their love that gives him power. Mm-hmm. That's like interesting. Said, yeah. Like all the aspects of God in this are interesting because it, it kind of turns kind of the idea of the Christian God. It kind of messes with it. A I bit. don't like, think so. I think it illuminates the problems that a lot of, um, that have always existed with the Christian God, but we skip over because we're, we're taught the good loving. I think that's a God. good way. Yeah. The, the that's, popular, like, uh, um, uh, like uh, the censored version of it, the, the good only the good part gets talked about yeah. instead of like kind of all the nastiness, you know. Yeah, and that's why I resonate with Mother is because when you when your eyes are open to the nature of this relationship, it's way crazier than you ever right. thought. Uh, yeah. So creation, and then uh, like I said, uh, Adam and Eve showing up. Um, like I said, I kind of like how that starts. It's kind of like they're having, you know, it's just inviting him into the house and they're having an interesting conversation, and then like it, it totally like just. They, they turn into like these awful people like kind of right away. And that's kind of why I, I like the idea of the introduction of these references, but then I think they're just played, they play out in, in the wrong way, I think. Um, and then you have, uh, did you catch like the Cain and Abel reference? Yeah, I, I, I did, yeah. And it's it stood out as out of place to me. I don't know, I don't, I don't understand why, I don't understand why Ed Harris, is that his name? Ed Harris yeah. is, uh, yeah, yeah, he plays like I don't Adam. know, I don't understand why he and his children are in the movie at all, because that feels so out of place in this movie to me. Because I get that it's it's a parable and it's something pulled from the Bible, but it doesn't, I don't know, it, it didn't work for me, it didn't fit. It's it's just setting up the uh, the discord between mother and father, or I mother suppose, and father. I suppose, sure. Because, it, because that's like, you know, the question, why don't you have children? Well, they can't stay here. All of those things, like how they're clearly on two different... Uh, they have different thoughts about strangers and about who yeah. should be in the house. Michelle Pfeiffer makes a comment like that, like, oh, but you're bo- you both are so different. Like she yeah. even makes a comment about it. Yeah. And how, yeah, one is so young. Oh, I thought it was your daughter. I made a, I made a note about that. Is he twice her age or triple her age? <laughs> <laughs> or is he eternal? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, that's actually played by, uh, 
It's Domhnall Gleeson is one of I them. I thought it was Domhnall Gleeson. It's Dom, Domhnall? Domhnall. Domhnall Gleeson, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's, it, it sounds like it should be Donald Gleeson is what I want to think, but because it's got it's not, H's. And he's stuff. not from America. He has a weird name. Yeah, I know. I messed it up. <laughs> uh, but it's also his brother plays the other, like his actual real brother, Brian, oh, Glee- yeah. Brian Gleeson, plays the uh, the other brother. Oh, weird. Okay. Looking yeah. at them, I would they not don't look like their brothers. Yeah. yeah I was like, oh. that's poor casting. They could have got <laughs> their dad to play Ed Harris then. That would have been cool. Because their dad is uh, Mad-Eye Moody. It's that actor. Is it? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. What? I'm the fun I'm fact guy, away. and you blow me away. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great fun fact. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, they should have cast. They should have. <laughs> yeah. That would have been this great. This movie would have been a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I do like Ed. Do you Harris. not like that actor? No, I love Ed Harris. Yeah. It's great. I'm just joking. This movie can't get any better. Oh my god. <laughs> oh good grief. I'm never watching this movie again. I can't wait to go home and watch it again. I did kind of jump ahead. There is also like a, a Garden of Eden uh, mm-hmm. reference where they they keep wanting to get into the the office. Yeah, and even before that. Um, how Eve shows up. Did you notice that? Did you notice that when he gets there, he doesn't have a wedding ring? No, I didn't. And then when Ooh, he, that's a good who little... would notice that? Because I, I went back and watched Cause it. Cause you rewatched it and you were looking yeah. for it. Oh, Cause, really cause she kept asking like, did you know he was married? Because oh. if someone is looking, if someone would look for those markers. I mean, I look for that, that stuff now. Cause you know, personal reasons. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh same thing like when uh he gets up in the in the night and he's puking and like um he's comforting him did you see his hot his, uh his hand slide down on the man's side yeah it had a big it's a slash yeah or something yeah yeah that was a rib yeah that they took for yo yo okay see now okay, this okay, okay. movie's getting better isn't it McKinnon? so when i was watching this movie i knew i knew it was pretty heavy-handed with its symbolism before coming over here i wasn't quite sure what the symbolism was so i was waiting for you guys to explain that to me so thank yeah. you no, that's good that's part of why i wanted to talk with you about it because yeah. i knew you would like just watch it so it'd be like yeah how much of this stuff am i just being overly critical of as soon as and how much yeah. of it actually works to like a, an audience that's just like kind of wants to see these yeah references, as you know? soon as you guys brought up mother mary and god and biblical references my first thought was like oh adam and eve cain and abel right and like all these things yeah as yeah. soon as you mentioned that I really we were actually talking about we really would have wanted to have someone on here who has no concept of the bible at all and see how that how this film resonates with them because i think then because we get hung up on the heavy handedness of it. Right. But it's all much more disconcerting if you don't know what any of these are references to. Yeah, because we all know those stories. Yeah. So it's so, not a big leap for us to make. Yeah. But so all of that Cain and Abel stuff, like all of the Adam and Eve stuff, doesn't feel like it feels like all of it is leading to the, the end. Um, and it's very logical. Right. Which is interesting to think about, which is why I think this movie is great. I hope that people who listen to this who don't like know all these references I, I would love to hear comments back to be like oh i didn't realize that or maybe you did realize it or you know h- how much of me just growing up as a christian makes this movie heavy-handed and how much of it is actually like pretty good like pretty good like working these references in and in, in, in probably a more organic way than i think it's just uh it just again i just think it feels heavy-handed but that's just because i'm so familiar with these you, you um, think it would feel different if you didn't grow up with all those stories you oh, think I, you would enjoy this movie more i think i would find it i think i yes i do okay I think I would be like, whoa, what does this mean? And I would be wanting to watch it again and do like research on it. But okay. the fact that I already knew all of it, I'm like, ugh. I think I would still again. feel like it's heavy handed, but I would be more interested in like what it's trying to say. Right. Um, another reference is uh, the, the flood, which is... Well, even before that too, um, when uh, um, Cain kills Abel and he uh, takes uh, Cain's head and smashes it, leaves a mark on his forehead. 
What is that a reference to? The Mark of Cain. Oh, the Mark. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so he would be I marked just, as a murderer. I guess I just lumped those all into the Cain and Abel story. I know, but yeah. it's just like all of them. That oh, is so, it's so thing. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's, it's fun that, that, that they fit as many in, and organically, like you were saying, yeah. which is just fun. Yeah, because that's, that's not exactly hit over the head necessarily. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> was about, was like, you had that rice smirk, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I see where you're going. Um, but for me, like one of the hardest scenes to get through is, is the reference to the flood. Uh, there's that couple that keeps sitting up on the sink and mother keeps telling him to get down and then she turns her head away and they get back up on the sink. And, and again, like I understand the point, but the scene goes on for so long and it's just repeated over and over again until the sink finally breaks. And it, the, the house is finally like, uh, people are running out of the house, getting out, you know, symbolizing, you know, like all, the flood is like wiped out a lot of humanity and stuff like, so I understand the reference. It's just, I think you can get to that scene in in a, a much easier way it's just like you're just gonna have her asking people to get down off the sink a hundred times and it's just it's tired this a lot of this stuff feels like really tired in this movie yeah and i think that's the point because again like it's 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 part of like this happened this isn't the first mother that it's happened to this isn't the first time it's happened to this mother like this house being invaded by people that he won't turn away so then it just builds again because he still hasn't learned and he still hasn't is and still isn't listening it's just a smaller version of it did you catch Which, that part, McKenna? I didn't make the connection that was the flood. It was just a stressful scene because I was putting, I, I, I put myself in the mother's position for most of the movie and that's why it was so stressful because I imagined having people over and they were messing up all my furniture and sitting on stuff I didn't want them to and right. breaking stuff. And then when the pipes came out of the wall and started flooding everything, I really felt for her and I was like, this is a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. No, it certainly is. Like it. I think that's why I'll probably never watch this movie again because I, not that I identify with the mother, but it's easy to put yourself in that position of hers psychologically. And that was very stressful. Yeah. Huh. You're like, oh it's my funny because I feel that's, that's, I feel the opposite because I yeah. find the whole situation so unbelievable that I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, <laughs> we can move on to, uh, I, I really like when uh, him starts writing again. He's like, move past his writer's block. And I think that's supposed to be like the writing of the Bible. And then I, one of my favorite scenes, I think, as far as like the kind of a, being an allegory is when he, he has his agent on the phone and she's like, oh, the people love it. And I really think of like, that's God's word, like getting to earth and like getting to humanity. And now it's starting to spread and people are evangelizing and everything like that. And he's like excited that, oh, they, they love it. And, yeah. And he still doesn't care about her. Yeah. Well, because she was, she was hurt that she wasn't the first one to read it, right? Right. Okay. Even though he literally is standing in the doorway, like with just pieces of paper. Yeah. Like I finished it. Yeah. Oh, but my publicist read it already. Yeah. And it's everywhere. I'm glad I caught that. Okay. Yeah. I think as far as just like, uh, yeah, one of the allegories I like is how the, the Bible kind of gets disseminated out and it's through like, I like it being told as like his agent is putting it out and like, you could think of that. I, maybe it's like prophets and stuff like that. Like people who believe they know God's word and like having that passed around. I like that part of it. Like that's a, like I said, all my favorite parts is with him is like with God. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I like those aspects of his character. Uh, Calvin, do you have any more before we get to like the really big one? Nope, because after that, it just gets, after that, it just departs from the Bible entirely. <laughs> right. So then the next really big reference is, you know, mother's pregnant, she gives birth. And, and at that point, there's so many people in the home and she just wants them all to leave. She's about to give birth. And it's supposed to be like, this is like Calvin said, kind of that uh, she's moved on, I think, from like the mother earth archetype to like mother Mary. Mm-hmm. And we talked about like the really creepiness of, of God being in the room, like just waiting to get this baby and like give it to the earth. And like, this is your savior. This is Jesus. You know, it's like, that's like, that's the next uh, biblical reference we have, I think. And it's the biggest one, at least the most uh, uh, 
visually graphic biblical yeah. reference, I think, which is, is saying something considering that one guy got his head beat open by his brother. So that the fact that this is kind of more horrific is saying something. Yeah. And it's also, it's so interesting thinking about like all of, uh, like tell them to go away. Like you can make them go away and they just want to see him. They just, he has all of that power. Like the, like the, the entire construct of like sending Jesus to the cross to die for sins is ludicrous in, uh, with regards to an om, om, the omnipotent, omniscient, um, all loving, uh, creator. And I think this is, it's very gory. It's almost unnecessary how, how overly overtly graphic it is, but it really drives home the point that this is so unnecessary. Yeah. It's visceral to say the least. McKinnon, how did you feel when you saw the I, baby Jesus? I crawled into a little ball. It yeah. was very, very graphic. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry. It's an animatronic. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank goodness. <laughs> I was worried. No actual babies were harmed in the making of money. Right. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it was, I keep saying stressful that this was so much more than stressful. Yeah. I almost wonder if maybe I would have liked this better if there wasn't so like, like I said, if there wasn't so much heavy handedness with all the other stuff, then like this would have really hit home for me. But because I was like, I, I already knew like all the biblical references. So I was kind of waiting for this one to happen. I think even you though know it it's going to happen before yeah. it does. Even though this is gruesome, it's like, I, I know that this, this part of the Bible, this reference is going to make it in at some point. And I think it probably would have hit home for me a lot better because it is certainly creepy. But then again, I was like, oh God, I get it. Yeah, it's Jesus, yeah. and he's being torn to shreds, and it, it was—he's he's paying for the sins of of, of humanity and everything. Yeah, it's got to be brutal, and and I was just like, oh my god, I get it. Yeah, it was it was about that time that I I thought that maybe the movie should have been about the father, because the fact mm. that she's a mother, I don't think was a big part of the movie. I know there are a lot of symbolisms and allegories and things like that drawn from her being a mother, but I think the father was a far more interesting character. It's the deeper it's the deeper part of all of uh, the references and mm-hmm. really like like that it's really the relationship of the two not necessarily what mother represents but mm-hmm. who she is in relation to him. It's more yeah, it's more about her in light of other people. Honestly, you know, the more I think about it, I think if you just take out the Cain and Abel thing, mm-hmm. I think this movie works a lot better. Like That's- significantly better. Because it feels out of place. Because it's just like it's 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 too drawn out of um, of an allegory. Like the Adam and Eve thing is kind of fine. It's actually um, for a lot of parts, it's fairly subtle um, until yeah. it's, until it's very obvious. The Cain and Abel thing is just unnecessary. Yeah, um, we've already like they did their their introduction uh, doesn't bring anything new into the in terms of the dynamic of uh, their relationship. It has nothing to do with them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's I think yeah. It's only in the movie to tell you like, hey, this is a movie about biblical references. Like, yeah. yeah. I think that's that's why it exists in this movie. I I, I tend to agree with that, Calvin. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, because honestly, like, because there's a way of getting to the the flood scene without because the only reason everyone's there is because of the funeral for the son. And that's why because Cain and Abel. Um, but I think there's a way of getting to that without uh, having to literally recreate the Bible shot for shot. Um, yeah, because the, the mother having the child doesn't have anything to do with Cain and Abel. They're completely unrelated in my yeah. mind. Yeah, so in terms of like Abel, build, yep. The fact that Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve are in the movie, it, it, it feels unrelated to me, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I think like, I think just, I would leave the Adam and Eve because it's fun, um, because it really sets uh sets up this world as being like a entirely like biblically based um it could be shorter maybe i mean yeah honestly if you get rid of the cain and abel stuff you 
I mean, this movie is an hour and 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it says, I mean, the whole sec, like the last 30, 40 minutes are the destruction of the house. So right. I don't think that you need, I, I think that's fairly long. I don't think that you, uh, um, it's not a long movie no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't like we like taking away from that even doesn't even take away from the runtime, um, which is interesting to think about. Um, maybe you need some more stuff at the front just to well, kind of balance out the uh, how much screen time it's given. I would have I would have liked to see them cut out Cain and Abel and add more stuff with the baby because the baby's only born and then the movie has like 10 minutes left. And there are I think right. No, I th- no, it goes on a little bit after that because then mother gets beat up quite a bit. So we we've moved on from biblical references and stuff. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, Calvin. Do you do you have any thoughts on kind of like the that kind of yellow tincture and stuff she's making? I, I yes. wonder. Uh, I was kind of. I always try to give like just my thoughts mostly. I don't really want to like look up someone else's thought on it or theory on it and then present it as my own. I didn't really have any good ideas for what that meant. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on it. So I looked up. Uh, someone else's idea on what this is. <laughs> are you are you talking about the yellow liquid that she drinks? Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I have no idea. Like that's not something that I've ever seen, and it's not a reference that I understood. So I've heard it speculated that it's a possible allusion to a short story called "The Yellow Wallpaper," and it's a work of early feminist literature published in 1892, where the main character is trapped by her husband in a room with yellow wallpaper that leaves smudges on those who touch it. Like it has like a a sickly smell and a yellowish tint. Um, And she thinks that there's a woman that lives within the wall. And eventually she goes mad and thinks that she is the woman in the wall and she's crawling around. So, which works very well here since the the house is literally living, has a heart and is, you know, I think quite obviously connected to her. They're one and the same. Right, right. Um, Which I don't think was subtle at all. No. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I say, like, quite obviously, and you guys look at me, wow, Calvin, that was not obvious at all. I think you're projecting a little bit, yeah. I think, yeah, uh, yeah, one one way I would describe this movie is obvious. That's that's, that's how I would go about it. Uh, So it's nice, at least one thing, we have no idea what it was. Okay. Um, (laughs) The first time that she she put her hand on the wall and she, like, cut to the heartbeat, I thought maybe she was already pregnant and she was sensing the child's heartbeat. And then the second time it happened, I was like, oh, it's the house. Mm. Oh, and you know, speaking of that, that's also the part where she's making the, uh, uh, the spackling and it's yellow. So, yeah, I was thinking that too. That's why I thought like yellows were maybe going to play a bigger role. Yeah, I think it would have, but yeah. So it's like, so that the fact that there's some living, literally living inside of the wall. Um, and then that, uh, being further represented in her little magic elixir, whatever. Well, I thought, I thought the yellow liquid was just urine. So. Oh, yeah, that could be it. <laughs> <laughs> Am I reading too much into that, Calvin? I don't think there is. That's possible with okay. this movie. Okay. Uh, Calvin, you have a note about octagons? Yeah, so the whole house still is is created around the idea of an octagon. And it's also meant to reflect like the like the mind. Like that's why they chose octagons. It's, it's uh they literally read like one of the guys uh read somewhere that it's uh the best it's the most pleasing or visually representative uh, shape of uh, of a mind. So everything in the house is an octagon. The whole house, um, the front, like the actual floor plan shape, all of the rooms, the lighting fixture, the moldings, the plates, the the windows, the doorknobs, um, 
everything is an octagon just constantly it's just so much fun to see stuff like that and when it has like an actual purpose and not because like this you know octagon sale um for like set pieces that's interesting i didn't pick up on that connor Connor, did you pick up on that no that's why i wanted to bring up the note you had because i was like oh okay i was like that's something i didn't catch so so and that's why we move through all of the house the way we do is because everything is connected nothing is sequestered off there's no uh there are no real walls they're all uh just different aspects of the same octagon right i like that i I like that i like that idea a lot like i said it's like it is nice to hear something every once in a while about this movie i'm like okay like i can latch onto that as a good idea and i think talking through this more i was like kind of dreading doing this one because i was like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna trash talk this thing the whole time so realizing there are more aspects of this i do like i think is is pretty good um do we have like any uh i'd like to move into like our final thoughts now uh mckinnon what uh what do you what do you take away from this movie and kind of like what do you what is mother like what is this movie to you uh, what, what do you think is the point of it and then like what it like oh, yeah what is what's your score on this i wanted to do a books of the bible so between one and 66 how oh, do you rate this movie? <laughs> uh i mean I, I don't know this movie didn't really mean anything to me it was just it was an uncomfortable experience because i i think if i could say anything about this i think that i think they did a good job allowing you to put yourself in the position of mother and that worked for me but I think I still don't think I'm ever going to watch this movie again because it worked too well and it was so stressful. Um, I guess I would give it 50 out of 66 books of the Bible. Oh, okay, that's actually pretty good. I, I think I think it's a that's well a done 70, movie. That's a 75. percent I know. Okay, I can count. Making sure because I'm doing my math on my oh, phone okay. right now because I'm not sure because the last time we did something like this it was 1.8 million balloons, balloons. <laughs> let me tell you my spreadsheet was a lot there was like there were a lot of things <laughs> your going spreadsheet on. took a heart attack probably yeah it was like yeah you've done um, all of your math wrong i think that yeah no i, th- I think that there are obviously a lot of things are well done in this movie but it was too heavy-handed so right. it, lo- it loses points yeah um i think like i said my biggest problem is i can't latch on any of these characters so for me like this movie doesn't feel dramatic because I, I, I don't care about what's going on with them. Uh, the psychological elements don't really hit for me. The kind of horror elements don't land for me. Um, like I said, the, the allegories are heavy-handed. Um, this movie, to me, doesn't have a real strong story outside of, like, humans bad, earth good, you know? And I think that uh, a peer-reviewed climate change study has more compelling narrative to it than this film does. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you would get the same point across. <laughs> Do you, do you think you're supposed to latch on to any of these characters other than Mother? I don't think you're supposed to latch on to anyone. So. What I mean, I guess what I mean latch on to is, is there's something, there needs to be someone in this movie that like grounds it and makes me feel like I should feel something for them. But like no one, I, I don't feel anything for these characters because everyone is so outrageous. You mean like the character that you're supposed to put yourself in the place of? No, I just mean like just anyone who Just acts, someone he enjoys. Just Just someone who acts like a person would have helped me be like, oh, this movie has some element of realism to it that I can, I can start to then like build that off of. And I can start enjoying the narrative because like at least there's one real person in it. And the fact that it's just, it's so like it, all the performances, like all these characters are so over the top. And like I said, like how badly they treat mother that I'm just like, I can't like, I can't take any of this seriously because it's so, it's so unreal to me. Like Like, I I was saying like suspension of disbelief because no one's acting in a realistic way. So yeah, I, I can't suspend my disbelief enough to find any of the dramatic moments dramatic mm-hmm. or the the kind of your 
psychological moments, uh, yeah. like the thriller parts of this, you know? And I guess, yeah, just the, the main tone to me is just, it's, it's like anxiety, I guess, okay. which to me is not a good movie. Okay. And so th- th- I, normally what I would, f- I would agree with you. Normally I did say that's my problem with like Blade Runner 2049 is a lot of characters. They feel like they're allegorical function and not real people. But I think that was in service of a plot here. I don't think that there's really a plot. I don't think we need real characters everything is about the subtext you can really think about um we have people acting as motifs as themes and that's that's really what they are they're just given names to ideas um and that's what i really like about this film that's why i don't care necessarily that no one is acting in human ways because they're not really humans um like mother is is really more about like it's about feminism it's about uh religious awakening it's about religious uh abusive relationships it's about the worst of human behavior it's it's commentary that it's all inevitable in a world ruled by a man like that that i think is what the magic of mother is is when you distill everything out you take everything like all of these other crazy elements and just think about like this whole crazy uh fever dream is impossible because this guy controls all of it and lets it happen right that is what i think the like the 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 heart of mother is no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) and that's why i think i i'm fine with it working in all of the ways because it's really just like how bad can things get that's the point yeah i guess i, I think what, what what do you score this one and i'm gonna give it a 58 out of 66 oh boy bucks. that's okay she ends up being in the 8.8 i will say I've, I've come around to this a little more than i was expecting to um i still don't i, I just still think it's not enjoyable to watch and it, maybe not enjoyable isn't the right word it's not I don't know. I no, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily enjoyable. And I understand it's that's not the, the point. The point of it, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, I can understand the point and still like not find it, mm-hmm. it, it something that I would want to sit down and watch. And like, yeah. like I said, it just it just doesn't like it doesn't hit the right notes for me, I guess. And in the over like the heavy handedness, but I have come around. I think I'll put this at a 33. I think you swayed me enough to be like, this is like to give it a, a five. kind of a middle of the road because it's, again, I, I do think there's enough cool camera techniques going on, and I think there's mm. when the references work, I think it makes the film pretty good. Um, but like I said, I, I just need it needs to be a little more grounded to me to like really latch on and like this more. But but yeah, uh, good job, Calvin. Yeah. For a movie that I really was like, I cannot wait to give this a one. Uh, <laughs> you, you swayed me a bit. There there's a, there's more going on with this that is likable than I initially thought. So yeah. okay, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm I'm glad we didn't vol- devolve into. You know, I'm such an acolyte of this movie. I don't care about <laughs> your like <laughs> yeah. your dissension. Like you just say negative things. Like we'll pray for him yeah no there's there's a good bit of reflection i think went on with me in this one so there's there's more likable stuff to this movie than i thought so. but i think like you also pointed out points that i didn't necessarily um there are problems here um full stop yeah i you know no, most of the time i just don't care because this is not a movie that these are necessarily problems they're just more like uh like choices um right. and directorial like uh constructs um but I think, yeah, when you think about them as being elements that could have been better, that's another way that I should look at movies more 
a lot of times I just take them as as face value. I'm like, no, I'm going to ignore that because it's fine. I like everything else that's going on here. Yeah, but right. there's absolutely things that he could have done to improve it. Most things with Aronofsky are like that. And that's what I love about how like sometimes his movies are sloppy and messy because that's just like that's like who people are. Like that's actual expression. That's that's mindscape. All of it is going on at the same time and nothing really works. And that's why I love his movies. I will say they, they're at least fun to talk about. Like I'm excited. Oh, yeah. We have another podcast coming out on Black Swan, and I'm really looking forward to talking about that one. And McKinnon, don't shake your head, McKinnon. You're here all day. I'm yeah. so glad we get to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I will say at the very least, even though I think there are better movies out there, Darren Aronofsky is really good at making movies that are good to talk about, which is great for our podcast. So I, I'm I'm thankful for that. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, with that, uh, you can find us on uh, pretty much any platform that you are looking for a podcast, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we also upload all these on YouTube. Um, feel free to like leave a comment there. Uh, we also have a email. Now this is podcasting100 at gmail.com. So feel free to drop a line. Tell us how we're wrong. Tell us what we did right. And uh, if you have any suggestions on any movies we should do in the future. And uh, with that, uh, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting. <laughs>